Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Help TVO create a better world through the power of learning. Visit TVO.org and make a tax-deductible donation today. There comes a time in every parent's life when they have to sit their tween or teen down and have the talk. Not the birds and the bees talk, the other talk. And come to think of it, it's generally not all parents. It's really a burden that falls mostly on the parents of young black kids, which sets up a whole series of questions to ask. So let's ask them. Joining us now in Los Angeles, California, Earl Turner. He's a psychologist and founder of Therapy for Black Kids. And here in our studio, Kathy Hogarth, Associate Vice President, Global Strategy at Wilfrid Laurier University. Valine Campbell, author, advocate, and founder of Zuzu Media House. And Brandon Hay, he is the founder of the Black Daddies Club. And we are delighted to welcome you three here to our studio. Earl Turner, great to have you on the line from much sunnier Los Angeles, California. Let's start. I don't want to assume everybody knows what the talk is, Valine. So why don't you tell us what's the talk? The talk. It's a conversation that opens the door about uh, racism for children specifically. Um, Much of the conversation is geared towards boys specifically because of the interaction that can potentially happen and often does happen uh, as they age and get into their teenage years. And that is for black boys specifically. And uh, what Just it to be is, more specific about yeah. that, it's, it's the concern that if a young black man is pulled over by a cop or is stopped by an officer in a mall or something like that, Here's what you That's do. That's correct. And it, it's typically um, for for people in authority and how we need to actually address people in authority. So, yes, as you mentioned, police officers, perhaps uh, a supervisor, manager at work. So um, there's divisions to it, but it's still overall the talk and how we have to perform when it comes to these environments. Brandon, were you given the talk as a child? I mean, no. I think um, I was born in Jamaica, um, and I came here when I was 10, so I didn't have that conversation. My mom didn't have that conversation, per se. Um, I think for myself, though, and I think this is where it's... This is one of the reasons why I started the Black Daddies Club, was to sort of um, connect with other elders, other black men, to sort of talk about, like just to kind of show me or just teach me the ropes. Mm. Um, and raising three black sons, I recognize like the talk has had to look very different depending on the, their age. How old are your three? So my eldest, Tristan, he's turning 21 this year. Uh, Julian, he's turning 19 and Elijah is turning 17. You gave them the talk, I presume? I gave them the talk and, and a bunch of different talks. So with Tristan, um, we've had to have like this conversation. As the, the eldest, he's been in a, in a different space where, you know, when he was 14, um, the talk was about um, black men and sexuality. And we went to see Moonlight um, and have a comp, like we went to eat afterwards and sort of like, have a conversation about what black masculinity is or what it isn't. That was the best picture of the year a few years ago. It was, and for me, that conversation was like a highlight for me, Mm -hmm. right? Because it it kind of showed me, A, how far along um, my sons are compared to when I was their age. Um, During COVID, 
having the conversation, you know, with, with after George Floyd um, and the, the brother um, Ahmad um, in Atlanta who got shot, I found that talking to other black men within Black Daddy's Club, we felt like there was a numbness we were feeling um, because, A, we didn't have those spaces to sort of like connect with other black men to sort of do our own healing. Having the talk during those times was, was really difficult because, A, as a black man feeling the hate, it's hard to have the conversation with our children or with my sons around being hopeful when sometimes I don't feel hopeful in, in, in those moments. And then I think the, 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 the last thing I want to say is one of, we had a, a, another talk when we saw the, 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 the raid on, Cap, on the Capitol Hill where I was seeing white folks from different ages with a level of uh, privilege. And for me, what it, it, it taught me, because each time I have these conversations or the talk with my sons, I always wonder, am I passing on fear? Am I passing on my own fear to my children, to my sons. Because they're in their black skin, because they're male, I have to tell them not to wear certain colors or not to wear certain hoods, even if it's winter, you know? So, but what I saw in those white folks having security guards and police run is that their parents had a different conversation with them. There was a level Mm -hmm. of entrenched, I'm right. Entitlement. Entitlement that I don't, I, I don't feel, when I talk to other black men, other black fathers, there's that same concern. Are we passing on that fear that we have where I could be driving in my vehicle and I know I didn't do anything wrong. As soon as I see a police car behind me, my butt tights, I tights up, right. I okay. clench up. Lots to pull apart yeah. there. We'll continue to discuss that. Kathy, uh, I, uh, you got a teenage black son? You do? Yes. Have you had the talk? I've had many talks. What, what age did it start? I think it started for me before they went into elementary school. Hmm. That young? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the talk evolves over years, over, over time, right? But at elementary school, it was the talk about how to keep himself, mm-hmm. understanding that black boys in school, uh, diagnosis around ADHD, everything in school becomes a problem for black boys. Mm -hmm. Behaviors that are typically routine for Mm -hmm. other kids becomes problematic for black boys. So they become disordered within the school system. So I had to have those talks early on. But one of the things in the talk, I also think it's important that I have the talk with teachers so they understand what to expect of my black boy. So the talk's not just for kids, it's for others. Yes, because I think for too long we, we focused on, we need to keep our black boys safe, our black children safe. And that's unfortunate that we have to engage in this level of protection and safety just to keep them alive. And we should say, your, your son is one of the top divers in the whole country. Yes, he's he going is. To be, he's potentially going to be an Olympic-level diver someday. Potentially, yes. Okay. Yet I'm having the talk because even his successes as an elite athlete doesn't keep him safe. Hmm. Okay, Earl, uh, we've set the table for you here, so come on in here and tell us about, in fact, if, if you could build on Kathy's answer, how the talk evolves over the years as children go from elementary school to high school, et cetera? Yeah, I think, you know, 
as a psychologist, we oftentimes talk about the need to be age appropriate with those conversations. So I think a big piece of it is as kids are younger, you may be given a really basic minimal information. And as they get older, you can have more of a dialogue and conversation with them about their own perceptions and experiences with the world. Um, and that's something that I oftentimes really talk with parents about is that you don't want to always sort of give your side a position on what you think uh, happens in terms of racial bias and that it really is helpful and important to understand how they see the world. So I, I think you know a point that was talked about earlier is, am I um, putting this fear in my child that may not be present when I have this conversation? And so I think you know one of the things that's really helpful is really opening up that dialogue to get their perceptions. You know, what has been their experiences based upon their skin color at school, in the community, playing sports, um, and then be able to go from there to give them the tools that they need to be able to navigate those different experiences that they may be having based upon those racial differences. Valine, could you pick up on the education angle as well that Kathy raised, namely that you know, black kids may not be allowed to get away with as much bad behavior as white kids are allowed to get away with in schools. Yes. And there may, it may be a case that administrations or teachers see white kids acting a certain way and, and they don't, you know, they say, well, that's ADHD and we have to, you know, take a clinical approach to that, yeah. whereas it may be a more disciplinary approach for a black kid. Sure. How do you work that out? Uh, you know, Kathy made a very good point in making sure that you are present and you speak to your teachers, be involved, be involved in every aspect of their conversations. Um, and also making sure that even as a collective, speaking to other parents as well, anytime that there is any kind of discord in the classroom, they need to know who you are, right? Um, I think too, a lot of um, black children overall, I'm gonna say girls as well, because of course I have the talk. You did not have the talk, but I had the talk. The you, talk from your parents, from my parents, namely my father. Um, part of that is also you spoke about behavior, but it's also academia. You have to work harder. You have to make sure that you work three times, five times, ten times harder than your counterpart. Because? Because of the color of your skin. Be Likely. Because the assumption is there's systemic racism in the school system. That's correct. And you have to make sure that you, you are seen. You are able to um, uh, achieve the same things that everyone else in the class is achieving. You're able to uh, show that you are capable, you're competent, you can excel in all areas of, of the academia or curriculum as any other child. Kathy, how do you be present as a parent and advocate for your child effectively while at the same time not being labeled or targeted by the administration or the teachers of the school as that parent who complains <laughs> yes. all the time? Mm -hmm. I think it's really a tricky situation. One, one of the, we talk about presence and advocating for our children. Let's be clear that not all black parents have the capacity or the ability to be present and advocate. What we see oftentimes is many of our black parents in densely populated areas, they are working minimum wages, multiple jobs, can't make it to parent-teacher meetings, mm -hmm. can't give the phone call during school hours, and those kids get dinged. Those parents get labeled. It is not that they are unwilling or negligent of their children. It is that they do not have the capacity. But how do you, how do you balance between being a strong advocate for your child 
and not to being that parent, I'm okay with being that parent. Right? <laughs> you don't mind. Because if it's in the advocacy of your child, yes. be that parent. That's right, because the cost is too great hmm. to not be that parent. Earl, let me get you back in here because you do an organization called Therapy for Black Kids. And, well, I guess there could be some people watching or listening right now who think, you know, therapy for kids, period, full stop. Why do we need therapy for black kids? What's the answer to that? Yeah, you know, that's a really great question. And I think for me, one of the main reasons why the organization is because we have oftentimes not had these conversations about black kids and going to therapy. And so I think we really do have to address this misconception about therapy not being beneficial to the black community. And for a time, it's been seen as something that's for white people. Um, and so I think it's helpful to have these conversations to encourage that black families and black kids to be able to seek out those services to get the help that they need to address a number of concerns. And additionally, being able to really focus on this aspect of racial socialization, which we've been talking about with the talk. And that I think for me, parents, they do feel um, some sense of fear about how do I have this conversation? It's appropriate to talk about with my kids to not make them you know, be harmful um, about society. And so I think it's really helpful to talk about what are the ways that we can have these healthy conversations about race and racial differences mm -hmm. and prepare them to deal with this bias in society but that oftentimes always having this negative outlook about how they may be perceived within society. Let me do a quick follow with you, Earl, and that is, do you think in, in too many black families there is a suspicion of psychiatry or psychology for whatever reason? I think that there is a suspicion. I'm not sure if it's unfounded. Um, I think that we know uh, from history that there has been mistreatment by the medical and mental health professional towards the black community. And so I think that's a valid concern that many individuals have about how they engage with the mental health field. And so I think, you know, we have to be honest about that and really try to address how do we get more clinicians and therapists to engage with families in ways that are healthy and that they don't engage in any sort of internalized racism or microaggressions towards those families that they're working with. Okay, Brandon, I want to circle back to you now for, uh, and again, unpack that first answer you gave a little bit more. When you, with your three boys, and first of all, did you do it all together or individually? The talk. Some, some talks were together, um, like, you know, George Floyd, like Biggs, you know. Um, and then some talks are like individual, like one of the elders uh, within the club said like he talks to his son, like he has teachable moments. So like if he's listening to, you know, you know out, like for example, I'm dropping my son, Elijah, runs track. Um, and you know, when each of my sons are playing different sports, that's when that's a one-on-one -on -one time. Gotcha. So if there's a song coming on or they're singing a, a particular lyric, that's a question of like, hey, what does that song mean to you? Or having those conversations. Okay, the ultimate question then is, yeah. is how receptive have they been over the years to the talk from dad? I think the conversations varied based on what I've been hearing, based on their age. Sometimes like the younger they are, it's sort of like, okay, cool. Like, okay, dad, you're going, you're going off again, or... Um, that doesn't sound receptive to me. It, it, it can or cannot be, because it's sort of like in the... So my approach was having them, you know, whether it's reading or something, but I would ask them to write something down. Like I'd want a report, not a report, but like a one-pager or a half-pager, just something I know that they're sort of taking it in. Mm -hmm. Now, they, they may not like me in that moment, <laughs> 
But I feel like later on, that, 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 that there's something that seeps in. There's something, and, and as my sons get older, so when, when the George Floyd thing happens, my eldest son came to me and was like, yo, dad, I feel like right now, it feels like the movie The Purge, and it's black folks who are getting eradicated. Hmm. How do I respond to that? Where how, I, how did you respond to that? I think for me, it was acknowledging that what he said was, was profound, um, and also that there's validity in it. Because there's a point where, as a parent, especially of black boys and of black girls, but in my case of black boys, that it, it moves, it has to shift from trying to protect to also just trying to equip. Mm-hmm. And for them to sort of have the, the understanding of what's happening around them to sort of break this down. And for my son to be like, yo, you know, bring in pop culture of this movie to be like, okay, this is where it feels like this. Let me pick up on that word equip. Kathy, when you try to equip your son with the knowledge that he would need to negotiate his way through society, how often did you hear him say, oh, gosh, there she goes again? Did that happen? Oh, yeah, that happens. (laughs) And how do you handle those moments? And I think it's the long view. Always taking the longer view, not the moment. Mm. The moment is important because it is in that moment we are passing information, education, empowerment. But the longer view is what we keep in mind. In the moment when my son is, oh, mom, you've told me this a million (laughs) times, Uh right? But... Now he is, he has his driver's license, he's driving about, and I say to him, okay, so where are you going? Be careful. Mm. This is what happens. If this happens, this is what you do. Has he ever had one of those moments? He has not had one of those moments. Good. Um, (laughs) Yet, he recalls it. And that, for me, is the important thing. He can confirm to me, as I have this Today's talk with him. Yes, mom, I know. You do kids' books, right? You've got a children's book series? Yes. Uh, Okay, tell us about that and how it contributes to this conversation we're having today. Sure. Um, There are three books to the series, and um, all three open different conversations. I try to write about real situations or real-life situations that have solutions. They're educational, yet fun and easy to understand. Give us some titles. So, for example, the first one is The Amazing Zoe Defeats the Germy Germlins, right? (laughs) If you can kind of put it together, that book was uh, written during the time of the pandemic. Mm. And uh, I opened the door to that one just because uh, there was something very unusual happening, right? Kids had questions. I saw books coming out, but there weren't many books that told the story from the Black perspective. Mm. And keeping in mind, it was the Black community that was heavily hit uh, during the time of the pandemic and in in the case of most healthcare situations. Mm. Um, So I just felt it was really important to tell that story. The second story is called The Amazing Zoe, a queen like me. And that one has really taken off as well. And I'll I'll just give you a little tidbit about that. Zoe and Caitlin are best friends. Caitlin is white. They like to play dress up. And uh, one day Zoe says to Caitlin, you know what? I want to be the princess. I want to dress up as the princess. And she's told she can't because princesses don't look like her. So yes, she, she of course runs home. She's upset. And uh, her parents opened the door to educating her about black queens that existed in the past Mm. and present. I watched the Grammys the other night. I know there are black queens. (laughs) I mean, come on. 
Beyonce. <laughs> but even outside of that, I'm talking, because especially um, we're right now in Black History Month, a lot of the conversation is around, um, of course, educating all about uh, the history of Black people. But many times, especially in the classroom, it starts off with the stories of enslavement. Mm. And we totally want to move from that. We want to open the door in showing stories that are all encompassing of who we are as a people. And a lot of the history, of course, most a lot of the history goes back to pre-colonialism when there were kings and queens. There are kings and queens to this day that people still don't know in various parts of Africa. So um, that was the purpose of that book, right? The Amazing Zoe. We got to look for those series. Yes. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. Earl, I'll get you back in here because, you know, again, you're walking a fine line in terms of equipping and educating young black kids for what potentially lies in wait for them out there, while at the same time not trying to terrify them. Mm -hmm. What adverse psychological consequences do you worry about as you do your work? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that we know from understanding the impact of racism and discrimination is that kids may have increased anxiety, you know, symptoms of depression or low self-esteem as a result of these experiences. So I, I really appreciate what Valine uh, mentioned about her book series because I think we do have to balance this conversation around the talk so that we're not all talking about the uh, discrimination and the oppression that we may experience as Black people, but also that we celebrate the, the cultural pride that exists within our community to acknowledge those strengths and accomplishments um, and creativity within the Black community. And so I think in those ways we can have kids understand that, yes, you may experience some negativity in society based upon your skin color, but there are also these really amazing, significant contributions that you know we have made as people and that you can also make as an individual as you grow up. Kathy, we're talking about why it's incumbent for black parents to have the talk with their black kids. I wanna, I wanna turn that on its side a little bit. Do you think it's incumbent upon non-black parents to have the talk with their non-black kids Absolutely. about this subject? Absolutely. And how does that look? See, one of the things I, I say to folks is racism is not a black problem. It's everybody's problem. Racism wasn't created by black folk. It was created upon black folk, mm -hmm. enacted on black bodies. Dealing with the, when we talk about the talk, the talk is about physical safety, the talk is about psychological safety and keeping society safe, keeping our black children safe is keeping our society safe. It is all our responsibility to have the talk at our dinner tables, with our children, with our colleagues in the lunchroom. It is all our responsibility to have the talk and hold us each accountable for the ills of racism. Hold us each accountable for the things we say or do. Because the talk, the necessity of the talk didn't arise because we are black bodies. The necessity of the talk arose because of what is done to black bodies. Understood. Can I add to that? Please. Yeah, um, I, I'm really glad that you opened the door about the conversation is not only for black children, it's for everyone. Uh, and what that conversation looks like, I want to kind of open the door on that. And it, it's more of 
talking about being an ally, how to become an ally when you see injustices happening around you. What can you do to speak up? What can you do to help change the narrative of what is uh, being placed upon Black people or anyone who's dis- who is going through discrimination? So I just wanted to kind of piggyback on that a little bit. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Brandon, of your three boys, has yeah. any of them ever been in a circumstance where it's good they had the talk because they needed to know that information because they encountered a situation where they needed that information? You know, a few, last month, November, or last November, my eldest son got into his first car accident. And it wasn't, you know, he wasn't at fault. But, um, you know, hearing him talk about that experience of sort of sitting on the sideline and no one sort of looking for, like, no one sort of paying him any attention. Um, and then the police coming and, you know. Tell me about the other driver. The, the other driver was a woman, um, made a, 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 a turn at a red light um, and he got hit. But there was a lot of folks that were going to his, going to the, this woman's attention. And he spoke about the loneliness that he felt sitting waiting for the paramedic. And as a parent, my heart was sort of He out was okay. There. I he was okay, like, you know, but I think when I, when I, when I got to the, the emergency, his mom was there and the police was just coming in. And I, made, I was asking certain questions around, is there going to be charges laid? And there was, but not for him. Um, but just that, that the fact of like being able, and I think he also went through, he did a firefighting program, which I think it normalized him talking to folks who are first responders, which includes police or TPS. So I think that was, was helpful, but I also feel that like, again, like for all my sons, all my three sons, there is a, a level of conversation to have with them around that they're beautiful that their blackness is, is, is a good thing. And I kiss each of my sons on their foreheads and, and to, to let them feel like, and we, we greet by hugs. So their first touch point with masculinity has to be through myself. And I, I, I feel, so whether it's, it's taking my, my son to go see Moonlight and expanding their uh, his idea of what black masculinity is and isn't, this is the opposite of what I was told, where it, there's a box for, there's a, there's a masculine box, and then the, the black masculine box is almost even smaller. Hmm. So for me, it's about my job as their parent is to keep on expanding that. So even when they're, they're meeting a, a, a police, I still you know, have a conversation of how to sort of respond. And there's a fear, again, that fear that, was, that came up, um, that comes up in me. And, and it's also for them to sort of, um, yeah, to have the, the, those conversations. The other piece that I, I also want to make mention of, it's not, it's about also creating community. So Black Daddy's Club, for me, is, it's about community building. So when my sons come out to a summer hike and they see other Black parents and their fathers, or we go to a Raptors game with a group of Black men and their sons, that idea is normalized of like black men and our greatness. So this idea of like black men not being engaged black fathers, that's not normalized. You put the lie to that. It, it's, it's myself, but also I'm a part of a community of other black men that's showing up. Yeah. 
I got to stop you there, unfortunately, Brett, because we're out of time. Mm. I'd love to hear more from all of you. That was terrific. Uh, can I thank Earl Turner for being there for us on the line, the psychologist from Los Angeles, California. Therapy for black kids is what he does. Valene Campbell. Uh, okay, we're going to look for the adventures of Zoe thank as we you. go forward. <laughs> the amazing Zoe. And uh, Kathy Hogarth from Wilfrid Laurier University. Brandon Hay, Black Daddy's Club. We're grateful to all four of you for joining us here on TVO tonight. Many thanks. Thank you. Thank you. The Agenda with Steve Pakin is made possible through generous philanthropic contributions from viewers like you. Thank you for supporting TVO's journalism.